Good morning and welcome to our Monday morning chapel. Today we'll be singing one of the oldest hymns in the hymn book and uh, you'll see that it was originally written in Greek and it shows how uh, way back in the early history of the church as well um, making sure that we came before God and confessed our sins with a, was of such great importance. Please turn then to page 130 in the front part of the hymn book, page 130 in the front portion, and we will use parts of the service of corporate confession and absolution. Please join me there in the invocation and versicles. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen. We continue with um, portion three on the next page. From the heart, let us confess our sins unto God. O Lord our God, we come before you as poor sinful beings and are without excuse in that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. But we believe in your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who has suffered for our salvation. And for his sake we pray you, forgive us all our sins. Grant us your Holy Spirit to the end that we may believe your pardoning word and that according to the purpose and desire of our hearts we may flee all sin and may let your holy and blessed will rule in all things. Lord, have mercy upon us. Amen. Upon this your confession, I by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word announce the grace of God to all of you. And in the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord comfort your heart by his holy absolution and strengthen you by his sacraments that your joy may be full. Peace be with you. Amen.
Our scripture reading for today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 1. So Jesus got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. When I was a little boy, I always loved this Bible story. Not only because of the miracle, getting to witness Christ uh, healing this poor paralyzed man, but I just thought it was so neat that you could make a hole in a roof in someone's house and take ropes and lower them in a sleeping bag down in front of Jesus. That whole image was so interesting to me. Sounded like fun. As I grew older, I got to see that there were much, much deeper things in this story than just lowering a man with a bunch of ropes. And that there was an even deeper and greater teaching and lesson in it beyond just the miracle itself. The divine nature of our Lord Jesus is very much on display in this account. And in a very comforting way, we see that with the healing of this man and uh, that our Lord is able to heal him of the paralysis. But, but his divine nature is also on display in kind of an intimidating way, maybe even a little bit of a frightful way, with his divine omniscience, his ability to read the hearts of all the people in the room. You know, in our court systems, we, uh, we try to get at what is the motive in people's minds and hearts when certain things have happened. We try to make an educated guess at where the truth is and uh, why somebody maybe did a certain thing that they did. But the Lord never has to guess, and he never makes a false conclusion either. He reads human beings' minds like a book. He just opens us up and knows everything that's going on inside of us. And he asks this very penetrating question to those who are thinking evil. He says, why do you think evil thoughts in your heart? I always wonder, you know, if Jesus was sitting in that room, what, what putrid thoughts we're going through people's minds, just in that room. Maybe about each other, right in the room. You know, think if Christ were to sit in here right now and just read my mind and look down into my conscience and memory and everything. Just think of the awful garbage that God can see inside of us. I think in that room that day, who else was, you know, plotting some evil thing or had theft on their mind or lust or maybe harboring hatred against somebody else. Little children oftentimes will come and ask their mom for something and, and uh, 
They'll try to kind of mask or cover up their real motive. And mom can penetrate right through that and kind of see through the situation. And the child may wonder, how did she know that? Well, as we get older, as we grow older and more mature, we get pretty good at hiding our real motives. We get good at masking and kind of covering up uh, the things that are really churning down inside of us. And because, especially on a community like this at Bethany, because we're around Christian people, and we don't want people, of course, to think badly of us, we get really good at making sure to hide the sinfulness that's often going on down inside of our minds and our hearts. We kind of perfect the ability to create a facade about ourselves. And if, if, we were, if we were to be honest, real open and honest with the horrible thoughts we have sometimes, how many of us would lose our jobs? How many of us would have friends leave us and relationships and marriages break up? How many people might even end up in prison if, if we really were openly honest about the garbage, the putrid, wretching stench inside of us that God is able to look at and see right down inside of me? King David said, the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. The author of Hebrews says, everything is uncovered and laid bare in the, before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So in this room where Jesus is present now, there are, there are two groups that are both the object of his omniscience. You have those who are harboring evil thoughts about him, questioning him and his authority, but then you also have this man. Jesus is able to read his heart as well. And I, I always wondered, so with this poor paralyzed man in his awful condition, what sin could he possibly have inside of him? What, what issue could be possibly troubling his conscience? Was it maybe envy of other people who are healthy? Was it maybe anger at God for his sad condition he was in? Was it maybe an unfulfilled sense of lust, upset that because of his situation he might never get a chance to be married? Is it possibly coveting the health and the wealth of other people because they were able to be more productive than he would be? We don't know what it was, but something was eating away at him. Something was bothering him deep down inside. Even if his body was not capable of carrying out outward sins. As Jesus says, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, and so on. But notice that Jesus doesn't take this man who's obviously struggling with something in his conscience. He doesn't take this man and rub his nose in his guilt. And he doesn't kind of leave him dangling, wondering about how God is going to deal with him. Jesus' omniscience is able to read the condition of his heart and to read the contrition that's stirring inside of his heart, this, this sense of feeling sorry before God. Years ago, I was on an airplane flying across the Atlantic Ocean with another pastor, and uh, he suddenly, uh, he was back a few seats from me, he suddenly started to feel very lightheaded and uh, started to pass out. And um, suddenly, he fell over into the aisle a little bit, 
two nurses from the back of the plane saw this and came running up as fast as possible to help take care of him. They knew exactly what to do to get him feeling better, get his blood circulating better and things. And it was interesting, nobody had to yell for them just by impulse. They knew exactly somebody that needed help. What a picture that is of our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus can look down into people's hearts and he can see our condition. He knows when we need help. He knows when we are struggling with our sins and our consciences are bothering us. He knows the very thing that makes you the most worried about whether you're going to go to heaven someday. Whatever that particular sin is in your life, he knows it. He understands it. And he rushes to your side with his word and sacrament to comfort you with his grace. He rushes there immediately. Notice with this man, the paralysis was secondary in Jesus' mind. The primary issue was his conscience, was helping him to feel forgiven before God. And so how quickly Jesus rushes to that issue. Is it possible that if people hadn't questioned Jesus in the room that day, he might not even have performed the miracle? Because the primary, most important thing was being handled and taken care of for this man. And that was his condition of sin before a holy God. And Jesus himself, the very embodiment of God's grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness, now comes and gently speaks to him. Think how, think how great it was to, to be this man and to hear your own Savior say to you, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. I was wondering, what tone of voice did Jesus use when he said that? Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. A couple blocks from our campus, there's a nursing home called Oak Lawn. I've been in there a number of times as a pastor and things, and if you go in there, you can tell it's all been designed around people who have uh, needs with wheelchairs and troubles not being able to walk and, and different, different difficult conditions as people age in life. And you can tell whoever designed this place had all of those people in mind because everything about it, where everything is located, has to do with people with struggling conditions. When you look at Christianity, when you consider the means of grace that God has established by which he comes to us, you can tell by looking at it that the one who designed this knows that we need help, knows that we are struggling, weak, sinful people that just have putrid stuff running inside of our minds and our hearts. He understands our condition. And so he has designed baptism, the Lord's Supper, the preaching of his word, the absolution. All of that has been designed entirely, the entire Christian faith, around helping struggling, weak sinners like us. And so even today, I stand before you on behalf of our Lord, who says, he who hears you hears me. And I say to you, as if Jesus himself was in the pulpit today, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit into our hearts to work contrition. We pray that throughout our lives you would keep us around the throne of our Lord through your grace. We ask it all in Christ's saving name. Amen. In this love, 
May the triune God of your baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Go in peace. Amen.